You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It is when we come there, when we enter into our prayer closet, when we fall to our knees, whatever, when we are before him, that something supernatural begins to happen. Our focus begins to change. uh, That is, we realize of what we are doing with our lives, our time. It is then where we see the relevance of this exhortation. If you aren't spending time in prayer on a routine basis, your life and relationship with God will suffer, and the effects don't end there. Your relationships with other people will suffer as well. As Pastor Mike will challenge us in today's message, spending that time is critical to living a life that's full and meaningful. It's in that time that God will draw your focus to what really matters and bring your weaknesses into the light showing you how much you need Him to intervene in every moment of your life. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he begins his message, Condemnation, Confidence, and Assurance. title is Condemnation, Confidence, and Assurance. Condemnation, Confidence, and Assurance. So 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. John, who is the writer of this epistle, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So once again, this evening's message, the title is Condemnation, confidence, and assurance. Now, the first thing that I want to draw your attention to, let's go back to our text in verse 19. Notice the word hereby or by this. The word hereby or the words by this. And and again, it's all according to what translation you're reading out of. I'm reading out of the New King James. And in my translation, it says, and by this. or, Or again, it can be translated... Hereby. So at the beginning of verse 19, 
what John is doing here is continuing the theme which he has been dealing with in the preceding verses. And if you were here last time, actually the last couple of times together, the last couple of Thursdays, we've been talking about the subject of loving the brethren. And so John is addressing that subject in this section of his epistle. Now, we've already established that if, in fact, we love the brethren, and we've been talking about what that looks like, what's involved in that whole occupation, you know, getting involved in each other's lives, uh, making an investment in one another, being there for one another, lending a hand when necessary. Those are just some of the things that are a part of our loving the brethren. So we've already established in those previous studies that if, in fact, we are doing those things, it is proof that we are of the truth. Notice, go back to verse 19. He says, and by this we know that we are of the truth. That is, that the truth of God is really in us, is abiding in us. The truth of God is abiding in us. We're not only hearers of the word, but we are also doers of the word. But then John goes on here to declare that loving the brethren is tremendously important also in our experience of communion with God in prayer, which perhaps, that is prayer, the greatest thing of all in our Christian experience. I mean, think about it. Prayer is the thing, prayer is the exercise that keeps the Christian going, that keeps the Christian on track. In Luke's gospel in chapter 18, in verse 1, Jesus told us there that men ought to always to pray and not to faint. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered that statement that Jesus made in this way, but basically, in other words, what he's telling us here is that if you do not pray, you will faint. And that's the idea. How important prayer is. I can't even imagine being a Christian, you know, trying to live my life for Christ without having the capacity, the ability, the wonderful resource that God has made available to us through prayer. I mean, the Christian life would be absolutely impossible without prayer. Let me give you another cross-reference, something else to think about. In the 27th Psalm, in verse 10, there we are told, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. In other words, when the people that we rely upon most, you know, the, the people who are probably the most closest to us, aren't there for you, and it's not that they don't want to be there for you, you know, but sometimes they, don't, they just don't have the, the juice. Sometimes they don't have the resources to be able to help in time of needs. But nevertheless, the gate is always open to God. How? Through prayer. Have you ever noticed, and I'm sure you have, I'm not telling you something that I'm sure that you don't already know, but both in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, all of the saints of God relied heavily upon prayer because they knew something about prayer. They knew that it was through prayer whereby they had access unto God. When everything else failed them, their, their friends, their relatives, when things weren't working out the way that they hoped they would work out, they could always appeal to God 
through prayer. They had that access to God through prayer. So then, let's go back to our text. This is the matter with which John is dealing with here. And his point is that we must be perfectly certain as to the conditions which control this whole question of prayer and access to God. And here he puts it in terms of the question of our loving the brethren. I don't know if you've ever considered the connection between loving the brethren and effective prayer and our access unto God. Now, with that said, I guess we should take some time out to consider what prayer is. And trying to answer that question for you, I'm going to give you some basic, defini- a basic definition of what I think prayer is. Uh, to do that, first of all, let me suggest what prayer is not. Prayer for the believer, prayer for the Christian, is not something that's just automatic. Okay, I mean, you know, we're Christians, so we pray. I mean, you can think of it in those terms, but that's not what real prayer is really all about. It's also not a repetition of phrases. It's not expressing certain desires or beautiful thoughts, although that can be a part of what is, you know, the prayers or the petitions that we offer unto uh, the Lord. It's not treating oneself by a means of psychology. You know, some people approach prayer in that way. It's sort of like uh, an exercise in psychology. You know, something that, you know, when we pray, it'll make us feel better. And, and yet, in fact, it does. You know, after we pray, we know that we made the connection with God and, and we're casting all of our care, our burden upon him, and we know that he cares for us. We'll talk some more about that in a moment, but it certainly does, you know, after we leave our prayer closet, I, I hope that, you know, there is some consolation there and some encouragement, and we usually leave feeling a little bit better, But that's not really the definition of what prayer is. So what is the answer? What is prayer? Well, prayer is coming before God into his presence, having a special audience with the king of kings. Notice in verse 19, John tells us that a part of this is just simply assuring our hearts before him. Now, do we consider that? I mean, do we really think about that? We do we prepare ourselves when we enter into our prayer closet and realize, you know, we're all we're all burdened down with something that may be going on within our lives, and and uh, life has just thrown us the curve, and you know, we're uh, we're a little anxious about the things that are going on, so we run quickly into our prayer closet and and uh, we lay down all of these petitions. But if we've taken some time out before we go into our prayer closet and realize exactly who it is that we're having an audience with, that is God, we're coming before him. And do we realize that we, we have the capacity, the ability, the, the blessings of, of actually being ushered into his presence? And in that, we are assuring our hearts before him. You see, prayer is something in which we turn our backs upon everything else, while for the time being, we find ourselves face-to-face with God alone. And this is precisely what happens when we pray. We're ushered into his presence. We are before God Almighty. And, uh, and sometimes I think we fail to, to recognize that. Now, says John, the whole question of brotherly love 
is of great importance because of that. Now, why is that? Well, I want you to think about your own personal experience when you go to the Lord and pray. And tell me if I'm not spot on with this. It is when we come there, when we enter into our prayer closet, when we fall to our knees, whatever, when we are before him, that something supernatural begins to happen. Our focus begins to change. That is, we realize of what we are doing with our lives, our time. It is then where we see the relevance of this exhortation as it relates to our loving the brethren. You say, what am I talking about? Well, you see, in that moment, when it's almost as if, and I always use this expression, it's, it's sort of like the world for a moment has just stood still. And it's just you alone with God. And, and there are other experiences this in, in our Christianity. Like, for example, in a, in a Bible study like this one, when uh, the, the preacher is, is driving home a point, which is very relevant to you, and, and it's almost as if everything has just stopped for a moment and God is speaking directly to you. It's like you're the only person in the room. You know what I'm talking about? It's like that the world has just stopped for a moment, kind of a moment. You know what I'm talking about? Well, we should have that same kind of a sense when we enter into our prayer closet, when we come before the Lord, having that audience with him. And in that moment, you see, if our heart is condemning us, if there is a sense of condemnation, there will be no true prayer. Because that condemnation will stand in the way of our ability to be able to address God. As we stand before God, we begin to see ourselves as God sees us. It's as if prayer tests us. It has a revealing nature about it, right? All of a sudden, you know, we're, we're come, we, we go into our prayer closet and we want to lay all of these petitions before the Lord. And even before we have an opportunity to do that, we're reminded of ourselves and our inadequacies, our shortcomings, our sin, our unworthiness to actually stand before the creator of the universe. Isn't that true? Has that been your own experience, Right? You run in there, and you're all ready to lay it all out, and all of a sudden, the whole thing gets turned around on us. And all of a sudden, we see ourselves as God sees us. We're no longer in control. Why? Because I've submitted myself to God. I've abandoned myself to him. Now, that sort of sets the stage for this evening's study, and it brings us to our first point this evening, and that is free from a sense of condemnation, free from a sense of condemnation. Now, this condemnation will actually shut you down. It'll stop you from entering into that fellowship and communion with God. It'll hinder your prayers, the way that you speak to him. So think about this. When we realize that we're now standing before God, something within me innately begins to speak. It is what John calls here the heart. Notice in verse 20, in the first part of verse 20. He says, for if our heart condemns us. Has there ever been a time when you've entered into your prayer closet where all of a sudden everything is turned in on you and your heart begins to condemn you? We're going to talk about what that looks like in just a moment. 
But all of a sudden, we recall certain things we have done. An unworthy thought, an unkind deed, a broken promise that we've made. And we're made conscious of our unworthiness. We're made conscious, as I mentioned before, of our failures, our foulness, our smallness, our sin. And what happens? Our heart begins to condemn us. We begin to think, I mean, what right do I have to ask God of anything? Right? Have you ever been there? Or, or am I the only reprobate here in this room this evening? Have you ever felt that way before God? When this whole thing is turned in on us and we say, wait a minute, what am I doing? How can I stand before a holy, righteous God? How can I ask him for anything when I know the truth about myself? Now, with that said, that takes us to verse 20. Let's take a look at verse 20. He goes, he goes on here and he says, if our heart condemns us, and here's the good news, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Okay, so remember now we're dealing with the subject of condemnation here. Okay, so here we are in our prayer closet. We're conscious of his presence. Our lives are being examined by some invincible searchlight. All things are being brought to the surface. And listen, this has always been the experience of all of the saints, Old and New Testament alike. Remember Isaiah and uh, his book, when he received the revelation of God lifted up high and sitting upon the throne. What was his response? Immediately, he, he, he thought of his own sin, right? He says, woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And that's always the response. When you stand before it, when you actually have an audience with God, when you know that you've made a connection, you're actually standing before God, right? All of a sudden, you're going to be made aware of your unworthiness, right? And so our lives are being examined by some invisible searchlight, and all things are being brought to the surface. And while we're in that state, I can't pray. I just can't pray. So the first thing that I need to do is I must reassure these hearts of mine or these hearts of ours, and we must persuade them we have this access, and guess what? It's all right. God is going to accept us just the way that we are, and he's going to hear our prayers. Now, how do we do that? Well, we may agree with what is being shown to us, we're reminded of our shortcomings, our, our sin, our unworthiness, and we grieve over it. But here's the question at that moment that we need to ask ourselves. I do find that I love the brethren. Okay, so I'm not some super Christian, and there's always room for improvement and growth, and I'm looking forward to that process that God continues to do within each and every one of our lives, but I have to ask myself the question, do I find that I love the brethren? Am I drawn out to them? I know I cannot look and see my brother and sister suffer without helping them. I'm loving them. And the conclusion that I come to then is, guess what? We are a child of God. It's sort of like the proof in the pudding, right there, right? Because otherwise, if this wasn't true, I wouldn't even be concerned about other people, right? 
I wouldn't associate with other people. But there is this intense concern that I have and love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And therefore, the conclusion that I come to is I must be a child of God. And then that lends itself uh, to my understanding that I'm not standing before some judge, but I'm rather standing before my Father in heaven, you see. And it makes all the difference in the world. It's the proof I've passed from death unto life. Because by nature, if I wasn't born again of the Spirit of God, if I hadn't been grafted into the family of God, a son, a daughter, I would not love such people. I wouldn't be interested in them. I wouldn't be concerned about them, right? I mean, it's, it's really an amazing thing. Think about that. You know, out of the couple of hundred people that are members of our church, think about it. I mean, before I was a Christian, I, w- I was concerned about people who were concerned about me, members of my immediate family, my mom, my dad, my sister, you know, certain relatives, some of my closest and best friends. But you know what? I, I, and I hope you feel the same way. I am concerned about every person who walks through that door. Truly. But it's not me. There's nothing in me that lends itself to loving people like that. But when I hear of this person going through that and that person going through this, and if there's anything that I can do to alleviate their suffering, to be there for them, to help them, to encourage them, I'm prompted by God to do that. It's his prompting me, which actually validates the fact that I am a child of God, you see. So there you have it. And and, and so if you're looking for something that will help you to get past that condemnation that we sense when we enter into our prayer closet, well, there it is. But you see, there is this desire within me to reach out and help. I'm doing that in spite of all of my other frailties and shortcomings and you know, not measuring up to God's standards. And so what my heart is saying about me is true, absolutely true. Yes, I've blown it. Yes, there's room for improvement. Yes, I'm a sinner. I'm still God's child, and I need to remember that. And thus, I reassure my heart. And that's what we have to do. And then I can simply go on and pray without any condemnation whatsoever. You know, isn't it interesting, just something that I want to throw in here, isn't it interesting that John doesn't tell us the way to reassure our hearts, you know, to make sure that we have, in fact, access to God and that God is willing to hear our prayers, not only hear our prayers, but respond to our prayers. John doesn't tell us the way to reassure our hearts as it relates to those things, is to think of the cross and remind ourselves of the death of our Lord for us. He doesn't say that. Because, you see, that would be too easy. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long The book of 1 John teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you, beginning on that very first day, and He continues to do so as you allow Him access to your life. Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide 
to let it. It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org. You'll find them under the Resources tab. Come visit us, too. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, visit harvestnyc.org or join us online to worship through the live stream. Each Thursday, we're also meeting virtually to step back into the Word and worship the Lord. We'd be honored if you'd join us. 7.30 online at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation. We appreciate every gift given, and we'll use it to reach more people with the Word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the Donate tab at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. We hope you'll join us again right here on In My Father's House. My heart not be troubled.